going to continue in our series called Devoted, Finding Joy in the Spiritual Disciplines. We're, we're getting close to the end. The Easter season's right upon us, and so soon uh, we'll, be, we'll be celebrating the resurrection of the Lord on Easter Sunday, and I'm looking forward to that with you. It's going to be a great, a great time to celebrate, but we're going to continue in our series this morning talking about the spiritual disciplines, talking about how you and I are built by God, wired by God to find joy as we build certain things into our life, certain rhythms and practices into our life that will help us flourish as Christians, as people created by God for relationship with him, for mission and purpose. And so what we're talking about today is, is our attempt to help pursue that. And one of the things I find to be very important is stepping back and is looking into the insights and the experiences of Christians in the past. I find it's very, very helpful to us today. We live in a time, as I've often mentioned to you, that is reinforced by this hyper-technology-driven society that we have, where we, we tend to think we're the smartest people, we're the most skilled people, we're the most rational people who have ever lived. And so we just, you know, figure out everything kind of on our own, and, and we can accomplish it and do it, and it's it's the American dream on steroids, right? Just work hard and you'll, you'll get it done. But this idea, this kind of pull in us, it's actually not just a result of the day and age we live in, though I think it's intensified here. It's not just a result of having the internet at our fingertips whenever we want it. And we can go back even just into a short way back into history before the internet was widespread, before you and I had phones where we could access literally anything about anything that we wanted to know. Writing in 1955, C.S. Lewis coined a term that, that I really love. Amelia will attest, based on my frequent use of this term, that I really do like it. He describes the thinking of our modern age, that we're inherently smarter, that we're better than those who came before us. Lewis calls this posture chronological snobbery. And I love it. Ever since I read that first word, I'm like, ooh, ooh, that's, that is chronological snobbery. I just use it over and over. And she's like, find new words. But this idea that we believe, because we come later in the flow of time, we have to be smarter. We have to be more sophisticated. We have to have better understanding of things than people who came before. This is the pull of the human heart, I think. In 1991, Dr. J.I. Packer said that the default posture of our age is to assume the newer is truer, only what is recent is decent, and every latest word must be held as the last word on the subject. I guess he couldn't find a way to rhyme that last one. Like the first two, I'm like, yeah, you're doing so good. Those are memorable. And then, you know, anyway. But Packer identifies the same thing Lewis identified. We tend to think because of when we live in time, we must know better than people who lived hundreds and hundreds of years ago. We tend to overvalue the modern and undervalue the past. And unfortunately, what that means is there are things, as we've talked about, even in this very series, there are things that have marked the lives of brothers and sisters in the faith for hundreds and hundreds of years that we simply don't give due consideration to today because we tend not to understand how important the past really is. So my goal today in, in what we're going to talk about this morning is to lead us away from that type of mistake and towards both receiving from this great gift of history, church history that we have, and how we can contribute to this great gift that God has given to the church broadly. The title of our message this morning, our ninth week, the ninth discipline we're talking about, is Seeking, Storing Up, and Sharing Knowledge. Seeking, Storing Up, and Sharing Knowledge. Now, I think all three of these things that I've put there in the, in the cursive font, kind of the subtitle of this message, are very important aspects 
of dealing properly with knowledge as Christians. And they'll, they'll serve to underscore the importance of this and how we should apply this in our lives personally. And so we're going to start, of course, with the, the first part because the first part, seeking knowledge, is really the foundational element that has to come before the other two. We have to understand that as Christians, we are called to be seeking knowledge. All of us as Christians are called to be seeking knowledge. Now, I realize as I say that, not everyone in this room or everyone that would listen to this message is wired the same way. For some people, just hearing that summary there, seeing that point on the screen, that sounds like a really unpleasant thing to you. It, maybe the idea of study is not something that gets you excited. Maybe, maybe it brings up bad memories of having to study for certain things in the past. Maybe it causes you some fear or some worry. Maybe you associate study with pressure and tests, or, or even like if I, just don't, if I don't get it down, then somehow my worth is reduced by that. I understand not everyone feels excited as we talk about the topic of study and growing in knowledge. But others of us in this room, perhaps, perhaps you do. Perhaps you feel like you enjoy the idea and the process of study more naturally. There's, there's something you enjoy about getting a good book in your hands, finding a lecture series to listen to, tuning into your favorite podcast, whatever it might be. You don't think that study and growing in knowledge is laborious. You, you find it energizing. I'm, I'm certainly wired that way. Nothing's quite as good to me as a good hardback book. And that chair, if you were here last week, I mentioned my chair upstairs in my bedroom that, that's good for me, not for you. Don't come sit in my, my chair in my bedroom. But, but nothing's better for me right, than sitting in that chair with my hardback book, with a cup of tea next to me, and doing some study. It's, it's refreshing. It's energizing. When, when I've got a lot going on, I, I know I need to carve out time to sit and study and grow in knowledge of something to refresh my own, my own heart. But regardless of how you and I are personally wired, whether we're like me and you love the process of study in general, or you're, you're wired a different way and you're like, that's not really what stirs my heart and my affections, God calls all of us as Christians to be seeking to grow in knowledge. The spiritual discipline of, of this thing that we're talking about today, it's for all of us. And to understand the methods and the frequency and the natural excitement you may have about this, the outworkings or applications of this discipline, they will be different between all of us. Nobody's going to have exactly the same thing that they're going to do to fulfill this, but we are all equally called to implement and to press into this discipline in our lives. This is true of all the disciplines, right? I've been trying to, to help you see this every week as we go through this. There are some things that you connect with more in the nine weeks that we've been talking about this. You're like, yeah, that's, more, that's easier for me to do this thing, and that's really difficult for me to engage in this discipline. But the reason we're talking about it in this corporate setting where I'm talking to all of you is because I think this is what the Lord has for all of us in how we ought to build things into our life and wire our, our lives around them. Some are easier, some are harder, but we're called to all of them. We're called to engaging scripture, as we talked about in the first week. We're called to be practicing prayer, as we talked about in the second week. We're called to be people who intentionally remember God and his works in our lives in the third week. We're called to worship him corporately and personally in our lives. You're called when you gather in here to, to sing and to lift your voice. You may not have been good enough to be on stage this morning, but that doesn't release us from the burden, from the responsibility of getting to praise the Lord with our voices and sing and worship him in that way. We're all called to evangelize, to share the gospel with other people. Even if we're introverts, we're called to share the gospel with those around us. We're called to steward our time and our resources well, as we talked about. We're called to engage in times of fasting, using that as a tool to expose our hearts and to grow closer to the Lord. We're called to seek silence and solitude in order to better focus upon the Lord at various seasons of our life. And yes, as we'll talk about today, I think all of us are called to seek 
and to store up and to share knowledge. We're called to study. We're called to grow and pass on things to others. This is a discipline that God intends for every single one of us, though the outworking will look different between us. So let's Let's be clear, and let's talk about the type of knowledge we need to be seeking, because what the Bible would have us understand is we are not just to be people who love learning for the sake of learning, not just knowledge in general that we are to pursue. We're to pursue a knowledge of God, who he is, what he has said, what he has done, and what he is doing, and what does that mean for our life? That's the sum of the knowledge you and I are supposed to be pursuing in our lives intentionally. So far more important than just hearing me talk about all of this, I want us to hear God say this to us in Scripture. We'll look at the book of Proverbs to start with, and we'll come back into it, and we could go to actually to a lot more places in Proverbs and hear the same type of things, but let's just start with two about how we are to be seeking knowledge. Proverbs 15, 14 reads... The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. And Proverbs 18:15, like it says, an intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. So if you're familiar with the Proverbs at all, you, you know there's a contrast running throughout the book of Proverbs between two different ways to live. God makes the contrast between the wise way, the right way, the good way, the way he's intending us to live, and the other side of it, he doesn't say, well, this is just a little less idea. He says, no, that's the path of the fool. So God says, choose. Do you want to live wisely, or do you want to live as a fool? That's the contrast the Lord puts before us. And listen to how serious God takes this idea of growing in knowledge. Again, this isn't just aimed towards some of us who maybe we, we get our hearts stirred well by, by uh, knowledge and study and learning, and so he wants to kind of tell us, hey, push in deeply to this. He's talking to all his people. Listen to how seriously God takes this when his people don't seek knowledge. The prophet Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6, God is speaking and says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of God, I also will forget your children. I mean, clearly God takes this idea of knowing who he is seriously. The call for his people to be seeking him is foundational for us. If we want to live right, if we want to honor God properly, if we want to have a genuine and healthy relationship with him, we have to have knowledge of him. If we don't, the results are devastating. If we're not seeking knowledge of God, we are not truly honoring God. Of course, this doesn't mean that every day, sun up to sundown, is only filled with textbooks and study. That's not the case for you in your life. That's not my life. I have other things going on. I don't get to, as much as I would love to, just sit and study all day long. There are other things that have to be accomplished too. What I'm talking about, though, is having a marker of longing, of regular, intentional times. They may be long times or short times in your life, depending on your season and what's going on, that you are intentionally setting out to know God more the longer you walk the course of this life. Like if the pursuit of growing in your knowledge of God is never present, or it's just rarely present when you're kind of forced into having to do it, then this text in Hosea should be a really sober warning to us, a call back from that. Because God expressly tells us, that not only will this posture of not longing to know him and grow in our knowledge of him, not only will that destroy us, but he flatly tells us if we reject knowledge of him, he will reject us. It's a serious matter. Not just for, for some people, but for all of us. 
This is true. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 6, we read, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. This is so foundational. How can you and I, how can anyone approach God if we do not know of him? You can't come to believing in him and have faith and trust in him unless you know something about him. This is why preaching exists. This is why evangelism must happen. This is why you and I must personally be studying to grow in our knowledge of God and sharing that knowledge with other people. If they don't know who God is, they can't approach him in faith. There is no genuine relationship with God apart from genuine knowledge of him. And this is self-evident in, in other relationships too, right? The illustration that I've used before is marriage. So if I stand up here and I tell you how much I love my wife, and I'm just going on and on about how important my wife is, I cherish my wife, I love my wife, she's the most important person in the world, I just love my 23-year-old wife with her curly brown hair and her love for all things NASCAR. Well, you, you probably shouldn't believe that I really love my wife, because my wife's 30 years old with blonde hair and hates to drive to town, let alone watch a bunch of left turns in NASCAR. Right? So if, if I, I can stand here and say all I want, I love, I love, I cherish, she's the most important person in my life, but then if I start talking about her, and I'm not talking really about her, if I don't know her, you would understand, I don't think you really love her. This is the same with God. You cannot personally and truly love someone you do not know. You might love the idea. You might know what to say because you've grown up in a culture that says the right things, but, but if you don't personally know him, if you don't personally understand who he is and what he's done and have experience with him, you can't love him. So we have to be people who are seeking knowledge of God. We have to really know God in order to genuinely love him. The Mormon who claims to love Jesus but believes Jesus to be the spirit brother of Satan and claims that Heavenly Father was once a man like we were who lived on another planet who became God and rules over this planet and one day we become a God like him. They don't know the true God. So they can't love the true God. They have a false idea that they may be very devout to, but without real, genuine knowledge of God, you can't genuinely have a relationship with the real God. So as Christians, this is imperative for us. We must be growing in our knowledge of God if we really love him and if we truly follow him as our God. Going all the way back to that banner verse that kind of, as I said at the beginning, stretches over this entire series talking about spiritual disciplines for us. 2 Peter 3.18 tells us, Grow in the grace and understanding of the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Listen, if we're not growing in our knowledge of him, we're not glorifying him, we do not love him as we should, and we are not faithful if we claim to be his people. We have to be seeking knowledge. We have to be growing in knowledge according to the Bible. But as I said, the application of this looks different. So don't hear me say you have to be growing, you have to be studying, you have to be learning and get some idea in your mind. Well, if it doesn't look like it looks like for this person I know or that person I know or this thing I read, then I'm not there. That's not necessarily true. Seeking knowledge of God does not require you to get a degree in biblical or theological studies. 
It doesn't mean you're going to be able to set aside four hours a day to study the Word of God. It doesn't mean you're going to have to learn Greek and Hebrew or Latin to learn to know God. It doesn't mean you're going to have to read the early church fathers. It doesn't mean you need to own collections of great Puritan writings and read those in the evenings before you go to sleep. It might mean some of those things. Those might be ways you grow in your knowledge about God. But it might mean something entirely different for you. It might look like just you spending five minutes a day reading the word of God in the mornings and praying, Lord, help me understand what I have read and help me live in light of what I've read today. And then going about your day with that verse and that prayer tucked into your mind, in the back of your mind as you're doing things and then bringing it forward as you have a chance to and just throughout the day saying, Lord, help me, help me live for you. Help me remember what I've read. Help me remember what I'm, what I, to look to see what you are doing in my life. It may be that living with just an awareness of God day in and day out that is fit for your season of life right now. It might mean something different than it means for the person sitting next to you. And that's okay. It's where your heart is located in this pursuit. Do you long to know him? Do you long to grow in knowing him? If you don't, here, this is the diagnostic the Lord's giving you. Something's broken. Something's off in here. You gotta get that fixed. It's dangerous. This leads to the second part of my title, the second part of the message this morning, is that you and I, we have to be seeking knowledge of God, and we need to do more than just seek after knowledge continually. We need to do something with it, and that's how I phrased it. We need to be storing up knowledge of God as well. Christians are called to store up knowledge. Now, the particular place I got that phrase from comes again from the the Proverbs, where in Proverbs 10, 14, we read, the wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin Near. So lay, the, the wise lay up knowledge here. This is the ESV, how it has rendered that. It's the New American Standard that says, the wise store up knowledge. And that phrase resonated with me, really hits at the heart of this idea, and it helps with all three of my points having S's. So that worked out nicely. This is what the second point is really all about here, is this verse. This is why so many spirit books on spiritual disciplines will focus in on this concept in terms of an application, but this is what lies behind it. A wise person grows, not just by saying, yes, I want to learn more, yes, I want to seek after knowledge, yes, I'll do things to learn, but actually applying that learning somehow into their lives. They do it by storing up that knowledge. So a lot of books on spiritual disciplines will jump straight into talking about the importance of you and I writing things down, keeping notes of some kind. You'll often read books or articles if you are looking at uh, books on spiritual living or spiritual disciplines or Christian life. They'll talk about the practice of journaling. Now, the thing about journaling that makes this such a um, different part of the spiritual disciplines than almost everything we've looked at before is that there's no direct command in the Bible that you need to keep a journal. And we can't go anywhere in the Bible and say, Jesus kept a journal. So this was an example to us. So a lot of books hit on this, but what they're hitting on is an application of what I'm trying to start us with is the the root of it. You need to seek knowledge and you need to apply that knowledge. You need to store up that knowledge. A way to do that is through journaling or keeping notes, writing something down for the sake of remembering and applying it better. And the reason most books will hit on this is because the value and the importance of writing things down is communicated clearly in the Bible. So, for example, Psalm 102, 18, we read, Let this be recorded for a generation to come, so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. There's a a thought in the mind of the psalmist to say, hey, what's happening here, we want to make sure it's recorded and passed on to future generations. How will we do that? We will write it down. 
I mean, this is how we have the Psalms. This is why we have the history that we have in the Old Testament. These things were written down so that future generations could learn from them. In fact, that was the express purpose of God speaking to his people through this way, passing knowledge on from one generation to another. Romans 15, 4 tells us, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The value of the written word is communicated to us because God has used this method to communicate with us. That's what makes the the written word so powerful and so important. And let's be clear, no journal that you or I keep will ever be on par with Scripture. That's not what we're saying. The words of the Bible, these are not journal entries from people. They're not their musings or reflections on God. The words of Scripture are inspired, infallible, inerrant, God-breathed, theanustas, words that are the sole ultimate authority for us. Nothing we or anyone else can produce mirrors the importance and the power of Scripture. But the value of writing things down, as we can see from looking at the written word, tells us that we too can leverage the written word to great value. We can write down and pass on things that are valuable to ourselves, to others. The knowledge, the experience that God gives us in our daily lives are not intended to end with us. They're intended to be passed on to future generations. One of the quotes that I love from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my favorite pastors, one that I've intended for many years, though I just lack the artistic skill to to put together what I want to have. I I intend to make this into some kind of nice-looking decorative piece, and it's a long quote, and so that's why I can't get Malia to engage with helping me make it, because it's a lot of work. Here's what Spurgeon says. This one day will be hanging on my office wall, I guarantee you. Just don't know when. Here's what Spurgeon writes. You are not so wise as to think or say that you can expound Scripture without the assistance from the works of the theologians and learned men who have labored before you. It seems odd that certain men who talk so much of what the Holy Spirit reveals to themselves should think so little of what he has revealed to others. The temptations of our times lie rather in empty pretensions to nobility of sentiment than in a slavish following of accepted guides. A respectable acquaintance with the opinions of the giants of the past might have saved many an erratic thinker from wild interpretations and outrageous inferences. That may not resonate with you as deeply as it does me, but that's okay. That's why it's going on my wall. I love it. Spurgeon is attacking this insidious pride that we all struggle with. What what Lewis called chronological snobbery, a little easier to remember perhaps, but this idea of thinking, hey, we're going to figure this all out on our own. We got this. We're smarter than the generations of Christians who have gone before us. What they thought can't be as valuable because they lived a long time ago. We don't need to follow their guidance. We need to forge our own path. Or even the idea that, you know, the Holy Spirit, he'll just directly reveal to me everything that I need to know. I don't need to go see what he's told other people. All of that is foolish arrogance. I've said many times before, theologians who are always looking to innovate, movements that are looking to disconnect from the pillars of the past, from the creeds and confessions of historic Christianity, they often end up in heresy. And most of the time, they end up in ancient heresies already dealt with. Why? Because they didn't learn from the past as God intended for his church to learn. This is a danger to all of us, though. As Spurgeon calls it, having a respectable acquaintance with the opinions of the giants of the past would benefit all of us. We should be learning from the people who have gone before us. We should be reading good old books. We should be longing to know the lives, the biographies of people who are long dead. 
We should even read copies of journals and, and the personal reflections that have been left for us by people who have gone before us. Our God, listen, our God has been at work in this world in every age with believers great and small, and he's been doing things that if we were to become aware of them, if we were to put into the time to see them and learn them, they would stir our affections and our confidence in our God beyond anything we can possibly imagine. My heart is so encouraged when I read of, a, of how a believer who simply wanted to love and serve the Lord and trusted him moved forward in a path, how God answered in that person's life, a person that no one else may, may remember their name, to see God was faithful to them in a small thing reminds me that he's faithful in my small things. Like He's not just the God of Augustine. He's the God of countless believers who, whose names we don't know whose stories we don't remember, but he was just as much with them in their circumstances as he was with the giant names that have persisted to today. So we should take time to learn from them. We should take time to seek those things out. We should take time to, as we talked about just last month when we talked about Hetty Stephan, who was a member of this church who went and did missions work on the other side of the world. That story is probably only really as impactful to us because we were, it's here at our church it only really matters that much to us. It won't matter to other people. But why does it matter to us? Because it was here. We, we see the connections. We know the relations that exist to her. So we should seek to pass on the knowledge that God has given us, the experiences that God has given us too. They may not be something that believers around the world 300 years from now read about, but that's okay. I'm not saying that you and I should be writing journals because our journals one day will be published and countless believers will read them. They most likely won't. <laughs> I hope not. Mine have a lot of things in them that I'd like to get cleaned up if we're going to go publish things. What we need to understand, though, is that this discipline is not just about that long-term benefit of people a long time off, a long way away, hearing about stuff. There's also a benefit in writing things down and keeping a journal, keeping notes, whatever you want to call it, in the short term, too. Listen, the discipline that I'm talking about today, it's not just about the use of others in the future. It's of use in our lives, too. Most of us most of us think, or at least we act like, our memories are a lot better than they really are, even in the short term. The closer and more personal value of journaling that I want to commend you to consider, or writing notes, whatever you want to call it, is that you would use this tool to fight forgetfulness and help you celebrate God's gracious work in your own lifetime. Not just thinking about future generations, think about your own lifetime. The ways that God's working in your life are really only probably known to you. And if you don't write them down, I guarantee you will not be able to pass them on effectively to others. Like if I asked you to tell me about your last week, immediately I'm assuming a couple things have come to your mind about last week. And the more we talk about last week, I'm sure more details would start to come and fill in the gaps a little bit. It'd start small, it would grow a little bit deeper the more time you put reflecting on it. But if I ask you to tell me about what happened in your life the week of December 14th to 18th, 2020... I'm guessing the things that came to mind immediately are probably a lot fewer and a lot harder to recall. And you're thinking, ah, we had a December 14th to 18th last year? I don't know. <laughs> like, right? And the longer you think about it, the more things will come back. But I'm guaranteeing there are less that will come back just thinking back a couple months than a couple days. And if I ask you to tell me about what happened in 1990, you're going to be hard-pressed to recall what happened a given week in 1990. 
See, journaling or some other form of making notes can help you remember the important things that God has been doing in your life. The farther we get away from them, the harder it is to remember. But doing some form of journaling, keeping some form of notes will allow you to go back and relive those moments where I guarantee you God was at work. He was doing important and amazing things then, but we will quickly forget them if we don't take any care to make note of them. So this aspect that I'm wanting to encourage you in is it's not just writing your autobiography, right? Like, I don't care if you got an oil change December 14th to 18th. I mean, you can tell me about that, I guess, but like, that's not the goal. What I'm really wanting to drive at is I want you to answer this question. What has God been doing or teaching or revealing to you? Like, that's the question to answer in making these notes. You don't need to capture everything. We don't need a minute-by-minute breakdown of your life. What we need is for you to spend time to think about the answer to this question. What has God been doing or teaching or revealing to me? So some weeks I may have a lot to put into my journal. This week, man, God was really working on me on this area, and these amazing things happened. And some weeks it may be a few less number of things. But God is always at work. He's always doing something. And if you're forced to answer this question, you'll begin to look and pay attention to those things more. That's how we use this discipline well. If you have to answer this, you have to learn how to live and reflect on your days in a more God-centered way. And practically, when we're talking about the benefit of others, I mean, think about how meaningful that would be for your kids or for your grandkids to sit down and look at your own notes and share with them, this is how God has been faithful to me, not in one or two ways throughout the whole course of my lifetime. This is how God has been faithful to me this year, this week. I can go back and show you the overwhelming number of times God's answered my prayers. What a gift that would be for those of us who are Christians who want to pass on our faith. Don't rely upon yourself to remember. Memories fade far too fast to be trusted with this. Take advantage of practicing writing things down, the ways that God's been at work in your life, so you can share them more effectively with others. There's such a rich tradition that has been handed to us as Christians. We do not stand here reinventing the wheel. We stand on the shoulders of giants who have gone before us. And we get to play a part of continuing to build upon that foundation. But if we don't, if we just neglect recording and celebrating and doing that, then we're going to create gaps in the structure. can't have a good building if, if one floor is just missing. We have a responsibility in this, in our generation, in our times. And like I said, don't think the value of journals and the value of writing these things down, that comes from the great learned theologians that are out there. And that's not me. I don't have a degree. I don't have great insights into things. I guarantee you the impact of people in this place is probably more on you than the impact of those great giants has been directly. Like I know that's true because many of you can finish the phrases or the ideas that have been shared with you from people in this room, from the Sunday school classes you've attended, from, from a, a, a short saying in a sermon or something repeated very often. Those things stick with you in a way that the great quotes that I share with you from church history don't. <laughs> right? I'm not naive. I don't think I put it on the screen one time so everybody knows that Lewis quote now. You know? Everyone's familiar with what Luther said on that day because I shared it twice in a sermon. You know, even the ones I repeatedly am sharing, I know they're not sticking with you, but I know that some things are sticking with you because of the relationship with the people around you. And this isn't a room full of PhDs, <laughs> right? There's an impact that's on you, and you can have that same type of impact on other people. So don't think, well, journaling, that sounds great. I'll leave that to the important people. You should record what God is doing in your life. Because it will speak to someone. 
We'll speak to someone here. So share those things. Don't discount the impact you can have on others. That's the final part of this message, the final part of the title, where I want to push us ultimately. Christians, understand we are all called to share knowledge. The most clear command we have to be people who share knowledge is Matthew 28, 19 to 20. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and the great promise, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You and I were called to be people who share. This command is not just for pastors. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for the apostles in the first century. It's for us. Go and share with others about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, what he's commanded us to do in our lives now. Share the experiences you've had with him so you can point others to him. We're all called to share with our family members, with our friends, with our neighbors, not just sharing our interests and our hobbies and our jobs and those type of things. We're called to share about Christ. We're called to share about the knowledge of who he is and what he's done. This should be central in our lives because Christ is truly the center of all things. Maybe a person who passes on wisdom and knowledge, pass on wisdom and knowledge of Christ. Colossians 2.3 tells us, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's the one we need to be seeking. He's the one we need to be storing up knowledge about, what he's been doing, what he's been saying, how he's been at work. He's the one we're called to share about ultimately. And I believe really that if you're convinced about this last part of it, that you are called to share, then you're going to be more obedient to the command of God to seek and store up knowledge. Because study might not be naturally enjoyable to every one of us in this room. Writing may not be something you enjoy doing Storing up knowledge may be harder for you, may take a lot of energy, but if you are regularly sharing about who God is with other people, you will begin to see the need and the benefit of doing these things in your own life. Because if you're talking with someone and you have a well of knowledge that you can pull from and you do that regularly, God's going to lead you back to that well more often, right? When you find, wow, wasn't that amazing that I, I had a verse that spoke to that situation. I had a situation in my life where I remember God working in that and I shared that and encouraged somebody. That's awesome. Let me go back and get some more and share some more. The more we share, the more we will understand the importance of seeking and storing up knowledge. My sincere desire for all of us in this room is that we'd be growing in our knowledge of God, in our relationship with God, that our desire for him would continue to bring us into life-changing situations. And I know I know that change can be uncomfortable at times. I know that growing is hard work. I know that we're tempted, all of us, myself included, to want to stay still and to want to get comfortable. But I know that we're not meant for that. The command in 2 Peter 3.18 is not, it's not conditional. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity Amen. You and I, we exist, Christians, here to glorify him right now and all the way to the day of eternity with no stopping, without becoming content, without getting distracted from the mission. You and I were called to be pilgrims in this life, according to the Bible, not settlers. Not people who go, this is good enough, I'll stop here. No, we're called to continue seeking, continue storing up, continue sharing all the way till we get home. So each of us need to examine our own hearts and our own lives. We need to look at this discipline in all its parts, and we need to ask, where is it that I need to grow the most? Do I need to be better at seeking knowledge of God more intentionally? 
Do I need to work on storing it up? Maybe I'm doing a good job of, of engaging with my Sunday school lessons or reading my Bible regularly, but you know, it's, kind of, it's kind of enough for the day and it's just in and out and I'm, I'm hard pressed to think back just a couple weeks and remember what was going on then. Maybe you need to work on storing up better. Maybe you need to practice something like journaling, like writing notes down. Or maybe you need to be more faithful in sharing. Maybe that's where this is. Maybe, maybe you've never, you don't understand the benefit of these first two things, the necessity of those two things, because you're not doing the clear command of sharing about Jesus with others. Maybe you need to pray and ask the Lord to help you tell others about him more regularly. As the worship team comes this morning, we're going to sing a song to behold our God, to think about who he is and how that should draw us to, to response. You have a chance to, to think about this message, to think about your personally application of this. What does that mean for you? Where do you need to press in? Where do you need to, to grow? The altars are, are open. I'm available to pray with you if you would like to do that. My hope and my prayer, my desire for each one of us is that as we would think about the God, the the one who loved his people so much that Jesus would come, he'd, he'd leave the glory of heaven, he would come, he'd live a human life, this frail, broken world that we are in, he would enter into it so that he could go to the cross and hang there, suffering, not because he had done anything wrong, but because you and I, we have, we've failed over and over in this pursuit, this discipline, all the disciplines we've talked about, we we're so imperfect and our sin is so costly that the Son of God would come to pay that price. As we think about that, as we meditate on that, I, I think it should move us towards response, should move us towards change. We think about what he did, how he came and he served and he loved. We should understand our lives are meant for far more than just getting comfortable and settling in here. You may be in the best place you've ever been in your life and your walk with God, but I'm here to tell you there's more. You can't exhaust him. You can't know everything about him and get to the point where there's nothing left. No, there's more. Press in. Seek him. Continue to grow in your knowledge and your experience of who he is. And then let's leave here and share that with the others that God's put in our lives, the people he intends for us to share with. Let's sing. Let's pray. The altars are open. I'm available to you if you want to talk, if you want to pray, come get me. Let's respond to the Lord this morning. Father, I pray that these moments have been a chance for us to truly behold who you are, to think about your power, your majesty, your might, your love, and your faithfulness and kindness. Lord, I pray you help us respond today. The application of what we're talking about will look different in every life, the ways we need to personally be seeking after you, of, of working to apply what you've been doing by storing that up and sharing it with others, Lord. I, I know that in every heart in this room, Lord, that, that's willing and listening to your leading, Lord, it will look different. I pray that you would just make that evidently clear to each one of us. But I pray that the desire's there in every heart, Lord. I pray for those who know you, that they would grow in their knowledge of you, their experience of you as you work in their lives. And I pray, Lord, for any who don't know you, that, that today would be the day when they experience the great forgiving mercy and life-changing power that you have. We thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. I pray, Lord, this coming week that we would make the most of this time. Help us steward it well, that we would glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. 
It's in your beautiful name that we have gathered and we pray today, Lord Jesus. And everyone said, amen. Amen.